You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Great. <laughs> you got your cars? Okay. Just want to make sure. Can't go to kids' church without your cars, right? Nobody else knows. Does anybody else bring Matchbox cars to play with? Hot Wheels. I'm sorry. I don't even know why I said Matchbox. Hot Wheels cars. I know. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we are a strictly Hot Wheels household um, and strictly Pop-Tarts. I don't do... Uh, Toaster strudels, I'll do that either. That's, none of this matters. I don't know why I'm talking about it. Anyway, let's just start over. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. We're continuing in our series in Acts this morning. Uh, we're going to continue in, in Acts chapter 10. Uh, last week, we, we started talking about Peter. We talked about um, what God had done through him, we got to see Peter here heal the paralyzed and, and raise the dead, which is so cool. And we talked about how we serve the God of the impossible and that God does impossible things. And we had a moment last week where you brought up, you wrote down, you brought up to God those things in your life, something that was, you felt like it was impossible. And I, my prayer is that we would continue to let God have those things. Uh, and, and if you if you did this week that you found yourself kind of trying to deal with it again yourself, again, I just I pray that you would continue to bring that to God uh, and let him have it because he is the God of the impossible and he can do the impossible. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what we talked about last week. And then this week, uh, we actually get to, I, I want to hang out on, on this guy real quick before we, before we actually even get into Peter. Technically, it's still part of Peter's story, so I left it with the Peter name tag. Um, but this guy... There was just something that struck me when I was reading this. And so what I wanted us to do today is to start out with a little, um, a little activity. Is that the word I'm looking for? A little illustration? I don't know. What, you guys will participate, okay? Can you guys, I need you guys to participate is what I'm trying to say. Um, so what we're going to do is I want you to say the things that make somebody a good Christian, okay? And it doesn't, don't worry that we're in church. Like, don't, nobody's... This is not for a grade, uh, as my teachers used to say. This is not for a grade, which is always like a big relief to me. Um, also, I have the worst handwriting you have ever seen. Like, I should have been a doctor. If handwriting was the only qualification, I would have been. Um, so, <clears throat> there's not, but technically, you have to do a lot more to be a doctor. So, who can just give me anything? And I'm going to have to write, so we're going to have to take a time. Love. love. Okay, love. That's a good one. I'll try to write big, too. And in all caps, because it's harder to judge someone when they write in all caps. Um, what else? What makes somebody a good Christian? Or, or, or things that we think make somebody a good Christian, right? Not necessarily looking for right answers. Genuine? That's good. Anybody else? Knowledge. Uh, Bible knowledge. We'll call it that. There we go. Oh my God, okay, listen, we, this is a lot. Uh, Jesus, we'll just go with Jesus. What did, what did, Molly, what did you say? Witnessing. Okay, you guys are doing better at this than I was hoping. I was hoping you guys would be really bad at this. Um, let's go here. Service? I'm, I'm giving up on... Uh, 
any kind of order to this. I'm just going to write it out. Holy Spirit. Oh, that's good. I'll put it right there with Jesus. Surrender. Passion. Non-judgmental. Uh, DG. Again, this is not for a grade, okay? That counts for me too. Slow to anger. I feel like that does usually also go with it. I'll, I'll leave that one off, though. Um, not because it's not a good answer, but... Yeah, that's good. These are good. I think these are good. And I started in all caps, and then I went to less caps because I was trying to write fast. But I, I think that there are so many different things, and there's probably... If we weren't in church, our list might look different, too, you know. Uh, but this is... Let me tell you, as, as your pastor, this makes me proud. This is a good list. This is solid. Took us a little too long to get to Jesus. Um, that's neither here nor there. We'll get there. Um, so, but, but what we see this week is something that, that I just had to stop. I just had to stop this week when we read this passage. Let's read Acts chapter 10. We're only going eight verses deep this week. So it says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known uh, who, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in what? Fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man who's named Simon, a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel, uh, when the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. When I, when I read this this week, and, and I, I was just struck by the description of the character of Cornelius. Maybe it's because I'm a Baptist pastor, and they listed three things. And I was like, well, there's three points of a sermon right there. And so maybe that was it. Uh, but also, really, I, when I read those three things, that we, we came up with this whole list. And I think you guys got one of them. And this is not, again, this is, this is a, I think this is a common thing, that it's like, these are good things, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with these things. And I'm not saying that these shouldn't be part of the life of a Christian. But when we look at how Cornelius was described, there were three things. He was devout and God-fearing, just not really, uh, maybe I'll put like Bible knowledge there. Um, devout and God-fearing. He was generous, which you guys got. I'm proud. You got giving. Uh, and I'll put service there as well. Uh, and then he was also a man of prayer, which we didn't put on here, right? And, and again, there's nothing wrong with this list. But I think it's interesting when Acts describes Cornelius, these are the three things that they talk about. It doesn't just say like, hey, he kept the law. You would kind of think like, oh, this is, you know, oh, he kept the law. He was a good Bible he was a good church-going centurion. And that's not true either. It didn't talk about him going to church. 
It doesn't say that he just attended religious services. It says when what made him a good follower were those three things. So the first thing that it says is that he, it says he was devout and God-fearing. Now, devout is the thing that we kind of, uh, that's kind of the easy part, right? Devout is the stuff that we're pretty familiar with. It's the stuff that we would kind of say, like, hey, this is the mark of, like, this is a good Christian because they go to church. You know, they, they, do, they do good things. They're a nice person. They believe in God. They're really, they celebrate Christmas. They celebrate Easter. You know, like, devout means committed to the things that are of God. And I think that's the stuff that, that we would kind of consider as, like, the bare minimum of being a Christian, uh, mostly just because of our culture and our society. It's the stuff that we're familiar with, is this idea of being devout. Uh, this is, you know, people that don't just skip church because it's a pretty day outside or, or they, they change churches because they don't like the way the preacher dressed. I dress fine, okay? I'm, I'm stylish. Um, but they make the things of God a priority in their life. That's what devout means. And I think we're pretty familiar with that. So I don't want to spend too much time on, on devout, but um, I really love the idea of being God-fearing of being God-fearing. And, and it's not really something that is a term that we use. Like, I know for me, it's kind of self-explanatory, right? Like, when you hear the term God-fearing, you're like, oh, okay, afraid of God. Or, or, or we understand that it's kind of like more of a respect for God kind of thing. But it's not a term that we use a whole lot, right? Like, God-fearing and, and the idea of fear that we use is very much in in relation to afraid. We don't use the word fear in, in relation to respect for the most part, right? Like that's not something that we, we use that word that way. So I know for me, when I read this phrase, it's just kind of this like, nah, okay, God-fearing. But if this was a, a, a really important, distinct mark of Cornelius, I really want to talk about what this idea of, of God-fearing is, especially because it is a beautiful concept. We talked last week about how big God is. We talked about how he held all of the waters in the hollow of his hand, which we, we, we took our hands out and we looked at the hollow of our hands. It says that he marked off the heavens with the width of his hand. And so he is just like, hey, this is it. This is the entire, all of the universe is just right there. That's it. Like our God is huge. He is so big and his power matches his size, right? This is a big, powerful God. And, and the one thing you, I think we all know, this, the answer to this trivia question, every time God or an angel appears to someone, they say, do not be afraid. When, when Cornelius is, is, the angel shows up to Cornelius, it says he had, he was, he had fear, right? This is a pretty common thing. Do not be afraid, or, or they were afraid. And it was like, I think that there's this moment. You think about uh, Isaiah when he stands before the Lord, um, and, and it, like he cowers, that he's like, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. He cowers. There is this like reverent, holy fear that comes up. This is a regular occurrence in Scripture, even with angels, right? Now, one, angels, they do look weird, okay? Like every description of angels in the Bible is like, covered in eyeballs, and they got eight wings and feet and four faces. And I think if that thing showed up, I would also be afraid, right? Like if that had just appeared in my living room, I'd be like, this is not okay. This is not how I thought Tuesday was going to go. You know, and so he, there's this element of fear associated with the things that are in the presence of God, because angels, they come from the presence of God, or, or God himself. There is an element of fear when people are face to face. When we think about who God is, at the end of your life, 
You will approach the throne of judgment to answer for everything you've ever done. Have you thought about that? This idea that everything wrong that you've ever done, could you imagine what that would feel like if someone were to bring that up to you? I know we probably have like these big things in our life that it's like, hey, this was a big mistake I made. But I mean, even just like, like cutting somebody off in traffic or giving somebody the finger, the thumbs up finger when they're in traffic, right? That's the only thing we would do. I know you guys, you guys would only give this finger uh, to someone in traffic. Or, or maybe it's just being angry or, or, or say, being judgmental or whatever it is. You think about all of those things and how they would stack up on top of you, right? The weight of all of the wrong you've ever done. Have you thought about the fact that everything you've ever done is seen by the perfect God who holds everything of yours in his hands? Everything, your relationships, your family, your finances, your house, it is all in his hands. This powerful God who is perfect, you are not hitting the standard. You're just not. And so when we, when we come to this idea of God-fearing, there should be this like, okay, he is the one who is going to judge and sentence me at the end of my time. And so there is this element of respect that we should have for God, this understanding of who he is and the standard that he has set. God is not our buddy or our equal. This is not to be taken lightly. Jesus is not our homeboy, contrary to what those shirts said back in the 2000s. He's not just your homeboy. This is not a casual fraction of your to-do list. He's not just a ticket to a better life or a ticket to heaven. This is a holy God that we could not begin to approach on our own. It is only because he came to us. And it is those who are in a relationship with him that as we approach that, that moment of judgment that Jesus will step in and say, no, 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 this one, this one, I, I paid the price for this one. You don't have to go through and list everything. I took, I took all of that on. You think about the weight that you would feel for all of the wrong you've ever done and someone calling you out on that. Jesus already did that for you if you believe and you put your trust in him. And he is going to intervene and step in front of, of and take that bullet for you. He, he already has and he will in judgment. Not only that, but you get credit for everything that he did on earth. You get credit for his perfect life. So when we come to this idea of being God-fearing, I don't think that's something that we live our life understanding realization, understanding the, the judgment that is, that is headed for us by a perfect and powerful and massive God should have to strike fear into us. And it should also make us more thankful for what Jesus did in stepping in the way of that judgment and taking that on for us. I think too often we're not thankful that we can have a relationship with God. We feel entitled to it, or maybe we're, we're not quite as grateful as we should. I don't know that we are always God-fearing people. And Cornelius, that was, was one of the, the, the marks of his life is that he was devout and he was God-fearing. The second thing they bring up about Cornelius is that he was generous to the needy. He was generous to the needy. I've got a friend of mine who he sits in the, the classroom next to me at 
the, the church, I might, sorry, this is a lot of backstory. I, I do my, uh, my sermon prep at Green Acres where, where Libby goes to pre-K and the office next to mine is a, is a pastor. And I, I went and asked him because I was like, is this just me? Or do churches not talk about this enough? Is this not enough of a priority in our churches? I think that growing up, I was too worried about being good, right? I think that growing up in church and spending, you know, 20 plus years of my life sitting under the, the teaching of other pastors, I feel like I was more aimed at this is the way you're supposed to live and the things that you're supposed to do, kind of focusing on that devout section, right, that we, that we started with. It's like, hey, this is all the stuff that makes you a good Christian. But are we worried about giving to the needy? Our culture has, it pushes us to trying to gain instead of giving away. We focus on how much can I get and not how much can I give away. And we make excuses too, right? We make excuses and we say like, oh, well, hey, that's what government assistance is for. Or we say uh, God helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible, by the way. Nowhere in the Bible is that concept because the Bible is actually pretty clear that we are supposed to help others. We are supposed to help others. And this is not just a concept in the New Testament. I think a lot of times when we look at this idea of being generous, we think of the New Testament, but it's not. This is woven all throughout the story of Scripture. I would categorize this as one of the main themes of Scripture, is being generous to the needy. There were laws in the Mosaic Law that talked about leaving crops unharvested so that the, the sojourners, those who were traveling and, and the poor, could go and take those crops for themselves. There was an element of the Mosaic Law. We talk in first five books of the Bible here. That it was like, hey, care for the poor. Proverbs 19, this, this verse I read dozens of times before it, it finally clicked with me. It says, I'm reading from the, the New Living Translation. I like the way it puts it. It says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. He will repay you. Now listen, do not... Do not hear me say that if you put more than you make in this offering plate up here that you're going to get rich. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not talking about tithing to the church. I'm talking about giving to the needy. And yes, there's an element of, of what we take up that goes to those who are in need. And um, it helps out with missions project. And when you give to the Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong offering, that all goes to missions. And uh, we have benevolence that we do as a church where we help people who come to us and say, hey, I need help. There is an element that does that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you specifically giving to the needy. God takes generosity very seriously. There is more in Scripture about generosity than there is cussing, than there is homosexuality, than there is drinking alcohol, than there is building up a savings account or, or being a church member or listening to Christian radio. Surprisingly, that's not in the Bible at all. But we make a bigger deal out of those smaller things, right? Those are the things that we want to make a big deal out of, and we miss the fact. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you guys. It was, it was probably 25 to 30 years of my life that I did not understand how much generosity was in Scripture. 
I, somehow, I just missed it. And I thought, you know, like, it was like, hey, I'm doing all these things other than giving. Like, you guys, well done. I had service. You guys got those. But, like, it's like, hey, I'm doing these other things. And, and so that's, that's what's good. And I miss this idea that, that God has a, his plan is for us to be generous to those who are in need. James chapter 1, verse 27, says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think it's interesting that I think that we focus on the second one a little too much, right? That it's like, who I don't want to get, I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to get my hands dirty. But in the process, we have let the world pollute us into being more focused on our material wealth than taking care of the widows and the orphans. That's what's so interesting to me is that, that we've, we've missed the point of this verse because we were trying too hard to be good and not helping the widows and the orphans. Now, being generous to the poor doesn't just mean giving money to the homeless. I think that we can get caught up on that. I think that we can kind of hit a wall there, and I think that there is a time and a place for that, and if that's what you do, that I, I want to encourage you to do that, but it's not limited to that. I think too often we just hit the wall of like, well, you know what? I don't know. If I give this money to this guy on the corner, I don't know if he's going to go buy drugs or if he's going to just go buy alcohol and drink himself to, to a stupor. or I don't know if he's going to just waste it all on lottery tickets. There's no way for me to know that he's going to get actual things that he needs. There's an element of that that that's I understand. But then we throw out the entire idea of generosity because we think that that's it, and we stop there. But I want, I want to give you guys some examples of things that we can do to be generous that are, that are not nearly as like, you, you don't know the outcome as much, right? One of, one, of my, one of the biggest ways you can do this, I'm a big supporter, believer, lover of Compassion International. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Compassion International. It is an organization that helps with children largely in third world countries for $38 a month, which is not as much as you would think, right? Like that's like two streaming services with the fact that streaming services have gone up now, right? Like $38 a month, it helps these kids. Uh, this is, I just copied this from their website. Uh, with healthcare, age-appropriate Christian teaching, hygiene training, education, vocational training, nutrition, water, mentorship, guidance, and love. And what's cool about Compassion is they do it all through local churches, so your money goes to a church in that area to bring one kid in to give them food, water, education that they would not be getting otherwise. They would not be getting otherwise. $38 a month, and there's cool things that you can do too of writing letters back and forth, of uh, sending, sending Christmas gifts. Uh, it's a really cool opportunity that you can take your money and you know it is going to a good place. This is not like, well, you know, if I give the money to this person, I don't know what they're going to do. No, you know that you are spending your money on food, water, education, and, and biblical teaching to a child. You don't know what kind of impact that, that you can have. All of this is done through local churches. I love that part. Uh, this, this coming, next coming weeks. so today is the 30th, and then next week is the 6th, and then the week after that is the 13th. 
So up until the, the 13th, we're going to be collecting pajamas for kids in the foster care system. We have an opportunity to take some on the 3rd to the senior adult luncheon. But um, on, on November 13th, I was going to say this during the announcements. So I was like, Meh, I'll just save it. On November 13th, we're going to participate in what is called Stand Sunday. And it's not going to change a whole lot for us, but I want it to be an opportunity for us to bring those pajamas to the church because Stand Sunday is, is to help. It is to raise awareness, to raise prayer, to raise help for children in the foster care system. Foster and adoption. There's this, and this is a big thing that Sarepta our church association is, is really putting our aim and our focus in foster and adoption. We came up with several different aspects that uh, the, the whole Georgia Baptist Mission Board is focusing on and Sarepta really clung to, and we've got some connections with the foster care system. And, but let me tell you why. If we are going to be loud about children having the right to life, if we're going to be on the front lines of being against abortion, we also need to be on the front lines of saying, I will help. Because it is hypocritical for us to say, that child deserves life, but I don't care what kind of life they are. That's not pro-life, that's just pro-birth. We're called to be pro-life. If we, if we are vocal about being against abortion, back it up. Back it up by being pro-life. Care about them once they're outside of the womb. Step up. This is a, a real, genuine call that I'm giving you this morning. Are you willing to open up your home and help a child who is being abused? Children in the foster care system are abused physically, sexually. They are undertaken care of. How much, how many of us, if you're being honest, have extra stuff? You got extra bedroom. You got clothes that your kids grew out of. You got, I think all of us, for the most part, a lot of us have extra food that we could help a kid. And this is not just somebody that you're helping a child. You're getting an, an opportunity to impact their eternity by sharing the gospel with them, putting the gospel into action because of your willingness to step up and help. And now I understand that this is not for everybody, and so that's why we're going to, through Sarepta, we're trying to figure out other ways that we can support foster care and adoption. If, if you're like, you know what, we are stretched a little too thin, or you know, maybe, maybe it's like, I'm too old for that. Like, I can't. <laughs> Don't sign me up for raising another kid. I already did. I already put my time in, and I'm done. Help those who are. That's what the pajamas are for. It's, it's to help those who are, who are opening their homes and it's one less thing for them to buy, right? These kids don't, a lot of these kids don't have pajamas that fit. It's an opportunity for us to step up and to help, whether it's financially or, or through the actual idea of opening up your home and bringing in a child that needs somewhere to live. Again, if you're hesitant about the idea of generosity because you don't know where your money is going, then find a way to help someone that you do know where your money is going. I understand that hesitation. I understand that hesitation of like, I don't know what's going to happen, but, but we have ways that we can be generous to the needy that we know can help. And maybe, maybe you're like, hey, Blake, I don't, I don't have the, the finances to even buy pajamas for these kids. That's fine. I, I'm not... I'm not trying to tell you you have to do that. 
You can also give of your time or your talents, the things that you're good at. We Jubilee partners, as far as I know, uh, they still need somebody who can help out with childcare two days a week, Mondays for like an hour and a half, Mondays and Thursdays. Please, please tell me uh, or, or Lynn if you are available to help with that. Because again, it doesn't have to be money. You're like, hey, I've got, I've got three hours during the week. I could go help somebody. And, and you're not in charge. Don't worry. This is not like, hey, you watch all of these 10 kids. This is, and I think there's like six or seven kids. You're just going to help someone else who is watching the kids, right? You're just a helper. You don't have to do it all yourself. But we have these other ways that we can help out. We can be generous to the needy, not just with our money, with our time, right? Part of the mark of being a believer is being generous. Because has God been generous to you? There was not nearly enough people who said yes to that. Has God been generous to you? I still think that was pretty quiet. Has God been generous to you? I'm not just talking about material blessings either. I'm talking about your eternity. He has given you eternal life. Our generosity shouldn't just stop at like, I don't know where this couple bucks I'm going to hand this guy goes, so I don't really think I should do it. Or, you know, think I'm not quite comfortable enough, so I don't need to be generous. Generosity should be a mark of our life as believers. And if it's not, begin to ask the Holy Spirit to take control of that area of your life. Surrender our greed, our pride, our comfort. Be willing to help, be willing to be uncomfortable for someone who is in danger. Be willing to be uncomfortable for someone who is in danger. Cornelius was a man known for his generosity toward the poor, and it was a mark of his life. And then the last characteristic that's mentioned about Cornelius is that he was a man who prayed. Pray regularly. As Christians, we should pray regularly. Part of what that meant with Cornelius is that he was a man who, is, who had great faith. You can't, you're not going to have a good prayer life if you don't have faith. Let me tell you that. Because you're, you're like, I don't know why I'm doing, I don't know why I'm asking this. I don't know why I have this prayer life. If you don't have faith. And we started off this morning talking about being God-fearing, right? We talked about who God is. And that if we understood who God is and how big he, he is and how powerful he is, and then if you believe that he actually listens to you, that he could take action based on your prayer life, that's a sobering thought, right? This God that we, we fear, this God that we have reverence for, that we understand his power and his strength, that we can have access to him, it's pretty incredible. Take things to God in prayer. First John 1, or sorry, 1 John 5. He says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. You have the most powerful connection in the world. You know, those people that are like, yeah, I know a guy, you know? Yeah, I know a guy. He could take care of some things, right? Or, or, you know, like you have that person that you're like, they have a guy for everything. They're like, oh, hey, we need this fixed. They're like, oh, yeah, I know a guy. You have the most powerful connection. 
People with connections got nothing on you. You have such a powerful connection. But there's, it's not just about the power that is in prayer. It's also the element of relationship. Back to our text this morning in Acts chapter 10, verse 4, it says that the angel, when he's talking to Cornelius, it says the angel answers, answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That phrase of a memorial offering is like, God remembered you because of this right? There's this element that, that God's like, oh yeah, I know that guy. God's like, I know, I know Cornelius. Yeah, I, I know Cornelius real well. This is a guy who I have a good relationship with him. I've seen all that he does for the poor. Like he, he lives for me. I know Cornelius. And his offerings came up as a memorial. God remembered him. So that, that, it, that element of him knowing God, that's what our prayer life is. It's the relationship to God. We don't have to think about prayer like it's a performance, right? I think there can be this element of us that's like, man, I don't know, I don't know how to pray. I don't know the things to say. If you guys remember, I don't know if this was you when you were younger. I think you notice it more when you get older and you start to watch like the elementary school and middle schoolers who are like, they say that they have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're like, you don't talk at all. I've never seen you talk face to face. You say that this is your girlfriend. What do you mean? What do you mean? Because I've never seen you talk at all. Or maybe, I, I don't know if maybe it was just me who did this. Do y'all ever, when you like liked somebody and you knew where you were going to call them, you had like a script? Anybody? Anybody willing to be as embarrassed as I am in this moment? No? Okay, cool, whatever. I remember when I was younger, I would have a script and I was like, okay, I'm going to ask these questions. If, if things get awkward, things get quiet, I'm gonna, I got, got my next question, I'm ready, Right? And it's kind of awkward, right? It's kind of uncomfortable when you don't really have a relationship and it's like, I don't, it's kind of new. Or if you meet somebody new and there's these awkward pauses and you're like, I don't know what to say to this person, right? I'll tell you, I never have to think about what I'm going to say to Maddie. Now, that doesn't always work out well. (laughs) But I don't have to script out a conversation with my wife, right? Because I have a relationship. There's an element of comfort because our relationship has grown. Now, when we were dating and and we were texting, I would type out a text and read it like three times and delete it and check my punctuation and like, okay, I gotta make sure that this is right and then then hit send, you know? There's this element that's like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here. But the more you pray, the more you grow in your prayer and your your relationship with God, the the easier it's going to get the more natural it's going to feel. Let me tell you, this doesn't just come with with getting older in your relationship with God. It comes with relational growth. There has to be depth, vulnerability, and intimacy with God. You're not going to achieve this just by attending church for an hour or two every week for 40 years. Your prayer life is not going to get easier because of that. It's only going to get easier when you practice. Prayer takes practice. The more you do it, the more it will just become part of your everyday life and you'll find yourself just constantly in conversation with God. Like scripture says, pray without ceasing. That will become a part of your life that you're just walking in connection with God. Cornelius' life was godly, not because he was a good man. It wasn't like, hey, he's a man of, of great stature and great wealth and you know, he's a, he's a good guy. He's kind of nice to people. 
when we see who Cornelius was, who let me tell you, next week what we're going to see God do in and through and because of Cornelius is pretty incredible. So there's a little teaser for next week. It's pretty awesome what God is going to do in the life of Cornelius. And, and we'll get back to Peter. Peter shows up more again next week. And so we're going to get to see what God does with this man who is living in a way that is pleasing to God, in a way that honors God. He was God-fearing. He was dedicated. His life was marked with generosity to those in, who were in need. And he had a meaningful, powerful prayer life and relationship with God. So when we, when we think about the way that we live our lives, this, this list can be kind of overwhelming and these are, these are good things. Again, I don't want you to hear me say that these are things that we should not do or should not be. These are all, especially like when you say Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm going to say that one's pretty important, right? And we'll get there next week. That's more of a teaser. But just this idea of, of being devout and God-fearing, respecting him, understanding his power and the relationship that we can have with him and being generous to those who are in need, helping people because, y'all, we are so blessed. We have so much. We have so much spiritually. We have so much physically. I mean, we live in such a, a wealthy time and country. We have a lot we can offer. And then the importance of our life and our connection with God in prayer. I pray that those would be the things that mark us. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this example set by Cornelius, that this was a guy who didn't, didn't grow up attached to the church. He was a Roman. He was not a Jew by birth, God, but he knew you. He knew you so much that he knew that there was something to fear. He understood your power. He understood your generosity. God, he understood the importance of our relationship with you and that connection that he had. I thank you for his example. I pray that you would help us to make these things a key part of our lives. God, especially generosity. I feel like we have done such a disservice of, of promoting in the church. We've gotten too caught up in our, our own comfort and making making ourselves look nice, making our building look nice, making the, the things that we do shiny and approachable instead of just saying, hey, you're hungry, here's some food. Hey, I have something to offer. God, I pray that you would burden our hearts for those who are in need. Let us see the needs around us in just a fraction of the way that you see it so that we will spring into action and not just sit on the sidelines, that we would be people of generosity. I pray that you would help us to love you and to love others well this week. I should name we pray. Amen.